I wonder how many of you have watched the TV program I want to talk to you about as we get started. This is a show uh, on the ABC. Fiona and I had seen the ads for it. Uh, we had been thinking, this looks good. Uh, we should watch this, but we hadn't had a chance to until we were on holidays uh, in April this year. It's on the ABC. It's Arne's Brush with Fame. Who's seen that? Just a couple of hands. Okay. Uh, look, you might know the story of Arne Do. He was a Vietnamese-born refugee who came to Australia, grew up here, um, became uh, an actor, a well-loved comedian, also an award-winning author. Um, but believe it or not, added to all of those other skills, he is also a very successful painter. He was a finalist in the Archibald Prize just a few years ago with this portrait of his father titled father. Um, and uh, you, you mix all of those skills together in someone and it's the perfect recipe for a great TV show. Arms Brush with Fame on the ABC. I think it's just finished its second series. Can I let you in on a secret though? Um, if you want to learn about painting, this is not the show to watch. Not because he's not a good painter, <laughs> but because this is not a show about painting, it's a show about people. Uh, that's what it's really about, and that's what makes it so engaging to watch. If you haven't seen it, it works like this. Some public figure, someone famous comes into his art studio, and he sits them down in the yellow chair, and they tell their story. And as they tell their story, he listens to them, and he draws them out. And as the words flow from their mouth, his brush and his palette knives are working away on the canvas as he creates this portrait. Now, you can't see what he's doing. During the show, there are little hints, little glimpses of what is happening on the canvas, but you don't get to see what he's really painting until the very end of the show when he turns that canvas around and you get the big reveal for the person and for us, the audience. So a few weeks back, he had Megan Gale, the model, uh, sitting in the yellow chair talking about for her, the joy of becoming a mother mixed in with the grief at around about the same time in her life of her father's death. And at the end of the episode, they turn around the canvas, there's the big reveal, and you get the portrait, a mixture of light and dark, happiness and the shadows of her life expressed in shadows in the, in the painting. Uh, the week before that, he had Anthony Field from The Wiggles on the show sitting in the yellow chair, opening up about his struggle with depression. And as he tells his story, Arne is listening and painting, and at the end of the episode, you get the big reveal. How do you think you would go sitting in that yellow chair? How would it feel to tell your whole story and have all of it, including the ugly bits and the bits that hurt and the bits you want to hide away, how would it feel if all of that was depicted on the canvas? That's one thing, isn't it, to have it depicted on the canvas. But the other bit is, how would you feel if it was turned around for everyone to see, the big reveal, everything on display? That's the scary bit, potentially. Because one of the things we've seen through this series, the Bible in 10 so far, is that although the true story of God, the world, and us begins with no shame... Very quickly, ever since the fall, since Genesis 3, we now carry shame in our lives and our instinct is to hide things away. Uh, just like Adam and Eve 
hid behind fig leaves, we also want to hide things we don't want people to see because we fear what's going to happen if who we are is revealed. Will we be accepted or will we be rejected? And I think that's one of the things that makes Arne's Brush With Fame such compelling television because here are real people uh, sitting in that yellow chair, opening up and being vulnerable about their lives. And we as the audience are waiting for that big reveal. Will they like what they see? Because it's an interpretation of what he's heard about them, who he thinks they are. Uh, will we like what we see? It's about acceptance or rejection. And it's compelling because, in a way, that's what our own lives are like. We live wondering what kind of portrait is being painted of us, whether we will be able to live with, cope with the big reveal, what people will think of us if they see who we really are. And that, friends, that is why it is so important that we all get to know the true story about God, the world, and us. Why it can be so life-changing when we start to see our story in the light of this true story. Because in that true story, we get to see not only who we are, but there is another big reveal in this story. God is revealed to us, uh, who he is and what he's like. It's not our guesses about God, the made-up ideas of what God is like and what he will think. But this is the true story of God, the world, and us that we read in the Bible. And we get to see his big reveal of himself, which includes how he responds to who we are and how he responds to the things that we would rather have covered up. So let's keep going with that true story. Let me catch you up on the the story we're following through the Bible. Uh, It starts, our first episode was right at the very beginning with blessing. Uh, It starts with light but very quickly turn to darkness. Blessing turns to curse. Life turns to death. Shame becomes a part of our story as humanity falls. Sin enters the world. Things are broken. But that was not the end. Our third episode in this story, uh, remember last week, Taeyong was here preaching. He was telling us about God making promises to Abraham. So God paints a picture to Abraham. He steps in and makes promises about how Abraham uh, is to look forward to this future filled with blessing. A picture where um, Abraham's descendants will be God's people living in God's place, experiencing God's blessing as he rules over them. And so as we read through the story of the Bible, we're waiting for this picture that God has painted for Abraham to become a reality. We're looking for, in a sense, for a big reveal of what God has said will happen. We're waiting to see the canvas get turned around and see it in reality. And that's one of the things that we want you to learn over these weeks uh, as we do this series, The Bible in 10, about how to read the Bible well, how to take these 66 books and to read them as one big story. So as we read through this story, we're looking now for how God's promises to Abraham are going to become a reality. We're looking to see where God's paintbrush is working in history to bring about this promised future of God's people, God's place, living under God's blessing and God's rule. 
Now, so far, that's taken us partway into the first book of the Bible. Uh, We need to speed things up a little bit now. And so we're going to go to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. It actually starts with words that are a direct echo of the Garden of Eden. We're told that Israel are fruitful, they multiply, and they fill the land. Exactly what God commanded Adam and Eve when he first created them. And... In terms of the promises God made to Abraham, now we see that Abraham has many descendants. It's like on A Brush with Fame, there's a little glimpse of something on the canvas here and we're starting to see the picture come together. But there's a problem. They are God's people and the trouble is they're not in God's place. They are in Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, they're not really living under God's rule because they're slaves under the rule of Pharaoh. But you keep reading in Exodus, there is more brushwork from God. Uh, Literally, as the blood of a sacrificed lamb is painted on the door frames of God's people to bring about the Passover, the rescue of God's people, and the exodus out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And so now, as we read on, they're on their way to God's place. They've been set free from slavery, and they're on their way to the promised land. And again, it's another glimpse. It feels like maybe the big reveal is about to happen. We've got God's people on their way to God's place and they're starting to experience some of God's blessing. Except, as we saw in the video, they're barely out of Egypt when they make an idol, uh, this golden calf, which they worship and they claim that it has rescued them from Egypt. And then, fast forward through a few more books, when they arrive in the promised land, they're barely in the promised land. In the book of Joshua, we see this little video that was, uh, this episode referred to in the video, the story of Achan, who reaches for forbidden plunder. And when you read that, it's a dead ringer for the first sin in the Garden of Eden. Compare with me the words from Genesis 3 that I've got up there with the words that we read in Joshua 7, verse 21. So Eve saw the fruit, that it was desirable, so she took it, and then it says they hid from God. And so in this really quite deliberate way, I think, the Bible records the episode with Achan as they enter the promised land with exactly the same pattern, and it uses the same words. So he says, I saw the plunder. He coveted or desired, same word there, and he took it for himself and hid it. So here we are, we're we're reading our way through the true story of God, the world and us. We're looking for glimpses for the big reveal, for this picture of blessing. Because at this point in the story, now God's people are in God's place. We're looking for God's blessing, but with Achan, what do we get? We don't get blessing, we get judgment. Uh, There is death and curse and sin. And it's a long way from the picture of blessing. So we need to keep looking further, which is is why in the true story of God, the world, and us, that chapter uh, that Isabel read to us from the Bible is such a significant one. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 is the chapter of God's promises to his specially chosen king, David. And when you get to this point in the story, it's like all those promises that were made to Abraham that we've been looking for 
and now getting focused down on this one individual, the king. God's promises to Abraham look like they are going to be fulfilled through God's king as the king brings blessing to God's people and from them out to the rest of the world. And in this story, the true story of God, the world and us, we need to realize King David is actually a very, very significant figure. Uh, You know the story, as a teenager, he slays Goliath, the enemy of God's people, and from there he rises to the kingship. And when he becomes the king, the Bible tells us he brings rest to Israel. Uh, Under David as king, God's people are united together as one nation. They're in the promised land. They're enjoying the blessing of rest and peace. And if you think about the promises that came before, then you see that the Bible is painting this very clear picture that under David, things are looking pretty good. I want to get you to have a look at this uh, by opening up your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. So the chapter just before, page 300. And there's an account there of how the Ark of the Covenant the symbol of God's presence with his people is being brought into Jerusalem not long after David becomes king and unites the nation together. Uh, this is a big deal. Uh, if you look at 2 Samuel 6, you'll see that there is dancing, there's feasting, rejoicing. And in the flow of the whole story, um, what we've got here are God's people in God's place. And now the symbol of God's rule, God's presence Uh, The Ark of the Covenant is right there in their midst. So it looks like, under David, it looks like God's promises are coming true. But there's an interesting little twist in 2 Samuel 6. Go to verse 14. If you look from verse 14 onwards, there's this strange little story about David dancing and about what he is wearing, or when you read through the whole story, really what he's not wearing is the question. It's this strange little story, but against the backdrop of everything we've seen so far, it is actually a really important story. What's happening? Well, let me just go over it. The the ark is being brought to Jerusalem. David, because he is the king, is the leader of God's people, and so he's taking the lead role in the celebration. This is something to celebrate And so it says that he's dancing before the Lord with all his might. But the odd thing is we're told he's he's wearing hardly a thread. And you read that and you think, why is this in my Bible? (laughs) Like, why do I need to know about what David's wearing or not wearing? But here's the thing. I, I want you to think about connections back to what we've seen already. Think back to what we've seen in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of our story. Here in 2 Samuel 6 is the king, God's man. He is practically naked and he clearly feels no shame at all. Now, attention is drawn to that because of the contrast we have with the other person in this episode. Michal, the daughter of the previous king, Saul, has been watching David and she's not impressed. She does not think this is befitting behavior. And so she goes out to meet him and she says, and I'm going to put up on the screen the the text from the ESV. Um, She says to him quite sarcastically, how the king of Israel has honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants. 
as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Without realising it, she draws our attention as readers to this connection between nakedness and no shame that was there at the beginning of the true story about God, the world, and us. And so it's like we read this and we're getting a glimpse that maybe we are back in Eden under David. In fact, that gets stronger. Next week, we see David's son naming animals and plants just like Adam did back in the garden. It's kind of like we're getting to see more and more of what's going on on the canvas. This picture of a return to blessing and we're thinking to ourselves, wow, is this it? Is the portrait nearly done? Is it going to get turned around? Is David the one who brings the blessing? And so we move on, we get to chapter 7, and David decides that it's no good for the ark to just be here, set up in a tent. He's going to build a temple, a palace, a place for God to dwell amongst his people. God steps in, though, and through the prophet Nathan, says to David, no, son, not you, You're not going to build a house for me. In fact, the other way around, I am going to build a house for you. I'm going to build for you a dynasty where your descendant will reign over my kingdom and my people and his throne will be established forever. There are a couple of things going on. There's a lot in 2 Samuel 7, but let me just say, first thing, this is a reminder through the prophet Nathan to David but also to us, that we don't build God's kingdom ourselves. It is God who brings about the fulfillment of his promises. It's not us. God does it. But the other thing that's going on here is uh, God is making promises that point us forward beyond David to this forever king whose throne will be established forever. And so as we keep reading through the true story of God, the world, and us, Once we get to 2 Samuel 7 and read those words, then we're thinking, ah, well, that's part of what we've got to be looking for in the future. That's going to be part of the big reveal. It's not David, is it? David fails. We know that from his story. Even David can't get away from sin. It engulfs him. He commits adultery. He tries to cover it up with murder. Not much of a fig leaf, is it? And so sin and shame into David's story. And even though there are glimpses in his rule of God's promises coming true, sin ends up ruining the kingdom and turning blessing into curse. We need someone else to come. Some other king, this forever king, that we've caught a glimpse of in 2 Samuel 7. A true and forever king who will bring real blessing real rest to God's people, who will establish them in God's place, in God's presence, better than Eden with an end to sin and an end to shame. That's where we're headed. But here's the good news. Um, Just like when you're watching Arne's Brush with Fame on the ABC, if you're watching on iView, not if you're watching live TV, but if you're catching up on iView, Um, and you want to see the portrait at the end of the the show, you can do that. You just scroll on ahead to the end of the show, you watch the last two minutes first, and then you can go back and watch the rest. Same with the Bible, right? 
Uh, we don't have to keep reading through, waiting, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Um, do you know, here's an interesting thing. The last book of the Bible is actually called The Big Reveal. We just translate that as Revelation. That was funnier in my head, anyway. Uh, Revelation is exactly that, though, isn't it? It's where God reveals what the the final picture is going to look like. And in Revelation chapter 5, we get to see who this forever king is. We get to see who is sitting on this eternal throne. In Revelation 5, verse 5, he's described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, it's to Judah that the ruling kingship is promised. Um, and he's also described as the root of David. So he, he's the one who, from whom David has come and who comes from David. This is the king that God has promised who's on the throne in Revelation chapter 5. He is the descendant of David who's going to rule forever. But when you look at him, when your eyes see who it is who's standing on the throne, what do you see? Verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. Like the sacrificial lamb of the Passover. The mighty king who's on the throne, who is absolutely alive, is also one who has died, who died as a sacrifice to rescue his people from slavery. It's very clearly a picture of Jesus, isn't it? That's the big reveal here. When God turns the canvas around to show us the picture of blessing, he shows us King Jesus. Jesus crucified and risen. The one who took on our sin, who carried all our guilt to the cross, who was stripped down until he was practically naked. And then he felt the searing judgment and wrath and fury of God against sin, not against sins he'd committed, but he was suffering for sins we have committed. And this passage in Revelation chapter 5, in the big reveal, it goes on to say something else about this king, that with his blood this king has purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so what you're seeing here in Revelation very clearly connects back to the promises made to Abraham that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through this descendant of Abraham. It's connecting back to the promises to David in 2 Samuel 7, that there will be a king who reigns on this throne forever, and all of those promises are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Jesus who's revealed to us as the true and forever king who comes to take away our shame, to deal with all our guilt, who clothes us, with his own robe of righteousness who welcomes us at his table to the feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb, and who removes our guilt and takes away the sting of death forever. And when we see him, when he's revealed to us, we know that if it's him, then under his gaze, we can reveal everything. We can be completely vulnerable. We can let ourselves be completely known because we know that we'll be completely loved and accepted. Now, at this point in the talk, I would normally try to bring this all together and apply it to something personal or real in our lives, something kind of concrete. I would probably begin with, you know, using that yellow chair metaphor. Imagine yourself in the yellow chair. And, but 
That's what I do on a normal Sunday. Today's not a normal Sunday. Uh, Today is actually an abnormal Sunday because it's a day where we have talked about how in six months' time I won't be here as your minister anymore. And so the thing I want to say today is this, uh, from this passage, is this, and this is why this series is so important. In everything that is going to happen... Remind yourself of the true story of God, the world, and, and us. Remember the true story of what God is doing. Remember what he's doing, that he is in control. There will be all kinds of things that we hear, that are said, that go through our minds. But remember how the forever king of God's people here at Epping Presbyterian is the Lord Jesus Christ, not anybody else. We have seen the big reveal and he's the one who's on the throne We see that he is the one who's in charge and he loves his church. He's purchased us with his own blood. He cares for his people. And King Jesus tells us in Matthew's gospel that as he works his purposes out, the gates of hell will not be able to withstand his mission to rescue people out of slavery and bring them into his kingdom. So as things unfold... Don't look to me, don't look to Byrne or Taeyong or the elders or the staff, and certainly don't get into the trap of pinning your hopes on having to find exactly the right, absolutely must-have, perfect next minister. Instead, look to Jesus and pin your hopes on him and get behind his mission. Get behind his mission. And then together, because that's what I want to do, together as we look to him, let's make the next six months the best we possibly can for the sake of our forever king. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious God, we thank you that as you've revealed yourself to your people over the course of history, through the story of your people Israel and the descendants of Abraham, And through the story that continues to be painted as as people go out into the world to make disciples of the Lord Jesus, to grow followers of him. We thank you that you've shown us that final picture that's on the canvas of the Lord Jesus sitting on the throne, ruling from heaven as a lamb who was slain. And we pray, Lord God, that we would have our eyes fixed on him, the author and perfecter of our faith that we would look to him and and get excited about getting behind his mission as together as a church we seek to reach this community with the good news that he is the one who will take away their guilt and their shame to bring blessing and hope into lives. We pray that he might be doing that as he builds a new community of your people here amongst us at Epping Prezi. We ask it all for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.